0: 929 in the pew Bible. We're we're starting um the season that the church all over the world is celebrating. They call it Lent. And one of the 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 reasons that churches do Lent, uh it it, it kind of echoes Jesus' forty-day fasting in the wilderness. It's a time where churches all over the world reflect on their own lives. Uh, and begin to prepare for the celebration that is Easter. You know, in our own culture, in our lives, very often the one thing we don't do is a lot of reflection. We're too busy to really think. And so Lent is one of the ways that we slow down, look back in our own hearts and see what's there so that the truth of the resurrection can penetrate. It's not like we're trying to earn our forgiveness by realizing how bad we are. It's so that when Easter comes, we know that those kind of things have been taken care of by the cross and the empty tomb. So we shift from Luke, which we've been in, to this uh, section on the minor prophets. And we're going to look at the ones that prophesied before the exile, before the Jews were taken out of Jerusalem. Uh, They're called minor prophets, not because they weren't very good at being prophets and they couldn't be professional prophets, not the minor leagues of prophets. It's just shorter books Um, the, the major prophets are longer books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets are the shorter ones. And uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at Habakkuk, Joel, Amos, some of these guys that we never really look at, but their focus is on repentance and, and God acting. And so that's one of the reasons we want to do that by reflecting on our own life. And when, as we come into Lent, you've got to look at the world around you, right? It's a pretty discouraging place when you start looking at the news, Uh, You can start way over there in Ukraine. You can start in Israel, Palestine. You can look in Africa, or you can move closer to home where we deal with, with homelessness, where there's violence within families, where there's struggles with addictions and pornography. Then there's difficulties right here in hope. It's a heavy time if you really, this whole reflection thing can feel a bit overrated once you start doing it because you start looking at the world around you and thinking, why am I doing this? It's not very encouraging. And these, these all lead to questions. When you look at the world the way it is, and the place that it's at, the big question that pops up in my mind is, why? Why is it like this? And we all have these questions. And if you struggle with the questions, if you wonder why, you're in really good company with this guy, Habakkuk. Now, I, I have to say, the biggest question when you come to Habakkuk is, why in the world would his parents name him that? Uh, And it's even doubly difficult for me because in the Southern United States, we say it properly and we say Habakkuk. That's the way we say it, Habakkuk. And you guys, you Canadians say Habakkuk and it wreaks havoc with my mind to try to... (laughs) So either one that I say, you'll know I'm talking about this book that we're looking at. I'll try to stay Canadian and say Habakkuk. Uh, It was written about 600 years before Christ. On the surface, everything in Jerusalem looked pretty good. The economy was good. Things were going all right. But, but what prophets do is they take the surface and they peel back these layers. And Habakkuk was looking at the stuff going on underneath the exploitation and the difficulty and the violence. All these things that, you know, we can have a good economy and yet the rest of our society can be a real mess. And Habakkuk sees it really clearly in his time. Even though the economy is good, even though there seemed to be financial prosperity, he sees that things aren't going so well And so we're actually going to read, it's only three chapters, but through the course of the sermon, we're going to read the whole book. We're going to start with Habakkuk 1, 1 to 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. And God responds, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told... "'I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves they prom- and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to defy- devour. They all come bent on violence.' Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings, they scoff at rulers, they laugh at all fortified cities, they build earthen ramps and capture them, and they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Stop there. Habakkuk starts with a question that I think we often have. Why does God do nothing? Why isn't he doing something? How long, oh Lord, are you going to let this go on? That's how he starts. And I think we can all identify with, with his initial prayer. We've all waited for God to show up and act and do something. Some of us, some of you sitting right here are waiting right now. God, when are you going to deal with this? When are you going to bring hope to this? When are you going to change this situation? We want him to do something. And one of the greatest challenges to trust is the silence of God. Verse 2, he says, I call for help, but you don't listen. I cry out violence, but you don't save. I think probably most of us have been in that spot where God has been quiet to you. You've called out for help, and it's been like he's nowhere to be found. And that's, that stands in stark contrast to our world, doesn't it? Because there's always noise in our world. We can always get somebody to talk to us by turning on the TV or the radio. How many times have you ever went to Google and typed in a question and it's come back, oh, we really can't find any information about that? It never does. It always comes back with 47 million web pages that reference this term. Google will always answer you. You know what? That's because Google is a tool that we use, but God does not always answer us the way we want, when we want it, because he is not a tool that we use. He's God. He's God. And the silence of God reminds us of that. Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a great little book called When God is Silent. And one of the quotes I highlighted, she says, The God who keeps silence is the God beyond anyone's control. He does not respond because we control Him or because we make Him. And Habakkuk looks all around him and God seems invisible. Anybody felt that way? And it's overwhelming. Especially when we come face to face with the darkness of the world around us, all that stuff that we see, and it seems like God's not even he doesn't even care. Verse three and four, Habakkuk says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, there's strife and conflict abounds, and the law is paralyzed, and justice never fail never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. You know, justice is not just lost, it's twisted, so that people are calling it justice, but it's not. The world around us seems, seems to make the silence of God seem even louder, because it's in such a mess. Why don't you do something, God? This is Habakkuk. 2,600 years ago, he's feeling what we feel today, asking the same questions we ask, but this time God answers. And in verse 5, we're confronted with what happens when God stops doing Nothing. He says in verse 5, Watch this, Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And then he tells Habakkuk what's going to happen Jerusalem is going to fall. The city of God with the temple is going to be captured by the Babylonians who are just making their westward move. This whole huge army that's going to take over this area, they're coming. And they're not nice people. Verse 6 talks about how they're takers. In verse 7, it says, you know, they make up their own rules. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. And not only do that, not only do they make up their own rules, but in verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards. Their cavalry gallops headlong, and their horsemen come from afar. They not only make up their own rules, but they have the power to back it up. These, this is not a people that just comes and talks trash to you. These are people that they really make their own rules, and then they make you follow their rules because they're strong. God tells Habakkuk, "Go, I'm going to do something all right, but it's not what you would expect. And it's a hard truth. You know, it, it challenges our assumptions when God shows up, but not in the way we thought he should. We have this assumption that if we follow God, if we do our best, if we act in a way that we consider to be loving, everything will be Okay. I think we may not verbalize it that way, but we, we feel that. If I just do my best, if I'm really faithful, if I trust you, everything's going to be all right, right? And if we run away from you, I understand my life's going to be hard if I run away from you, if I, if I turn away from you. But the Bible and reality doesn't really bear that to be true. You look at, at Job, you look at the, 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 the apostles who followed Jesus, the, the early church, you look at Paul, you look at John the Baptist who lost his head over this whole Jesus thing, right? Right? every time we think that everything should be good, it doesn't necessarily line up with the scripture, that if we do what we're supposed to do, everything will be fine. You know, verse 11 sums up these Babylonians. Then they sweep past like the wind, and they go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk cries out, God, do something. God says, I'm bringing these horrible people, and they're going to do something. Can you imagine Habakkuk? He's taken this question to God, and God's finally answered, and his answer leads to a, another question, and that is, how can God allow this? How can God do that to his people? How can he do that? And let's, let's just look at chapter 1, verse 12. We'll read down to 2, verse 1. Habakkuk sits, I think he sits for a while after this answer from God, and then he complains again has a question. O Lord, verse 12, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment. You have a rock you have ordained them to punish. And then here comes the question. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with his hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest of food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am I going to give to this complaint? That image there that, that he uses, he says, Babylonians like this fisherman that goes out there and he catches all the Jewish fish in his net and he fries them up for supper and then he says, thank you, O oh great net. And he says, how are you going to do that, God? How are you letting these guys, aren't they going to give you a bad name? And see, Habakkuk is running into what I call the problem with God as we understand him. I, I love the, the ministry of AA and especially Christian Recovery Ministries and these 12 steps. I, and so I don't want you to misconstrue anything I say as being negative toward that. But the first three steps in AA are this. Step one is to admit that you're powerless over your addiction and that your life has become unmanageable. And step two, to come to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. And step three, make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as we understand him. Now, I, 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 I think that is a great place to start, that we, we realize we're broken and we need help and to surrender our lives to this power that we don't quite understand yet. But one of the problems is in the church is, is that we think we've got God figured out too. God, as we understand him, we have a certain way that we know he's gonna work. At some point, we have to wrestle with that whole phrase, God, as we understand him. Because God is not God as we understand him. God is God as he is. We don't understand him. And we all have ideas or conceptions of God, and they all fall short. And Habakkuk says, God, where are you? Do something. And when God does something, it shakes him to his very core because it was not what he expected the God that he understood to do. This is not what he thinks God is like. And at some point in every person's life, you have to get to the point where you stop trusting in God as you understand Him and begin to trust Him as He really is. That's what it means to start living by faith and not by certainty. If you're you're willing to trust me, he says, as long as you understand me, it means that you will do what I say as long as it makes sense. But we seem to be hungry for certainty. We want to know why. We want to understand, we want to get God pigeonholed so we know what He's going to do, so there's no surprises. But faith, faith is about trusting when we don't understand. So God constantly takes us through these journeys where He takes us outside of our understanding into a different place and says, "Are you going to trust me here?" Let's look at verse two to 20, how God answers of chapter two, how God answers Habakkuk. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Habakkuk can make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he, Babylon, is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you, once again, talking about Babylon, have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust game to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You've plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out to you, will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from wineskin till they're drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you for you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him that says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. You see, he's talking a lot about Babylon here. And he says to Habakkuk, they are going to pay for what they've done. You don't understand what's happening, but I'm not going to let those guys go scot-free. And one of the key phrases of the whole book is is 2 verse 4. He talks about Babylon, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but then he's talking to Habakkuk and he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. The question is, Habakkuk, I can take care of Babylon, but will you live by faith when you don't trust me? Instead of certainty, when you don't get what's going to happen, will you trust me? See, God constantly in our life, if we're working with him, we follow him. To, he takes us right to the edge. I remember when I was a kid and my dad was teaching me to swim. He had this great idea that he would stand in the five-foot water. I was about three feet tall. And he would stand there and catch me as I jumped off the side. And the first time was okay because he was like, I was here and he was like right there. And then a few times later, I noticed he's a few steps back. And I get a little scared. But, I, you know, he coax me in and eventually I went, well, that's what God does. God keeps moving a little further back saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me when you don't know? That's how we grow. That's how we live by faith. That's the way the life of a follower of God is. He, his goal, God's goal is not to make our lives fulfilling and easy. At times they will be, but his goal is to make us trust. His goal is to make us like Jesus. And that involves learning and growing and believing when we don't know the result. Only the reason is only when we learn to trust can we rest. You see, we have we live under this illusion that we're in control of our lives. And and so when things get out of control, we get really stressed and we don't rest. But God's trying to teach us, you know, we're not in control. He's the one in charge. And only when we learn to trust that at every moment, even when we feel like we're in control, we're not in control, but he is only when we get that, can we actually ah, rest. It's not dependent upon us then. He says, have faith, faith in his purposes and in his power. Look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter two, has not the Lord almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God, he's saying, have, have a, I will do what I say I'm going to do. The earth's going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even if Jerusalem falls. I'm gonna be okay, and so are you. You can trust in these promises. He has a purpose, he has a plan, and he has the power to fulfill it. I love the end of that chapter. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth shut up. (laughs) Babylon, shut up. You're not in charge. The Lord is it. Remember, we talked about in Genesis that how creation was God making his temple? And what he's saying at the end here, he says, Habakkuk, I know it looks like everything's falling apart, the Babylonians are coming, but don't worry, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and I can do it because it's my temple. Let all the earth be silent. Nothing stands against God. Which leads to another question. Will I trust God and His ways? See, I think there's a big pause again between the end of this chapter and the beginning of chapter three. We read it fast, read it all in one sermon, right? But I think Habakkuk heard that and he's like, whoa, my goodness. And he's grappling with it in his head. The, the, the name Habakkuk actually means to embrace or to wrestle. And I love that because I think he wrestled with what God was doing, just like we're called to do that as well. But this silence forces Habakkuk to wrestle with this question of trust. Will I trust God and his way? You know, I think we all trust God, but I think if we're honest, I I look at my own life and I thought there was a long period of my life where I would say, yes, I trusted God. But what I meant by that was I trusted him to forgive me of my sins so that I could go to heaven when I die. I knew he was going to handle that. But daily decisions, I'd take on those myself. I wasn't quite trusting him with my future, or the people I hung out with, or my financial... That's a different level of trust. And I think a lot of times we do trust God to forgive us, but do we trust Him to actually bring the Babylonians to run over us, knowing that what He wants is best, even if it doesn't feel that way? Can we let go of the controls and let God be God? Will we come to the point of surrendering to God as He is, not as we want Him to be, not as we understand him, but as he actually is. Look at chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigenoth, which means on an instrument that has uplifting and powerful and, and inspiring tones and, and musical things. That's, that's what it means. And this is what he wants to sing. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he starts reflecting on this God. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. And my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. i stop there for just a minute. Habakkuk sees God in all his power, in all his wisdom, and it's terrifying. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. you ever been so scared that you hear your heart beating in your chest? Your knees are shaky. You've been that scared. That's once he sees God for who He really is, he's terrified. Yet I will wait patiently, he says, for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, surrendering to God as He really is, not as we want Him to be. You ever felt terrified to follow Jesus? I'm not sure I can do this. God, I just don't know if I can actually follow you and I don't know that I can forgive that person. I don't know that I can make this sacrifice. I don't know that I can commit to loving that person who's hurt me. And there's this conundrum because once you know him, you realize there's really no other choice, is there? I love that line when Jesus says to the disciples, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else would we go? I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, I'm not so sure I like this, but It's true. Where else, where else would I go? This is what's true. It's terrifying sometimes when we actually begin to follow Jesus for where he wants to take us. And, and we've got to do that because if we only follow him for the way we want him to be, that's one of the things people will say, I like this about Jesus. Or they make, they make this idea of Jesus and they follow him. But if you're not willing for him to rattle that, you're not following him at all. You're following your idea. And when challenges come, then we tend to back off. But see, that's the message of Habakkuk is God is leading us and caring for us even when we don't understand. The goal is to trust. The goal is to develop a faith beyond circumstances. Look at verse 17, chapter 3. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food... Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know, when the crisis hits, we have two choices. We can can hold on to our assumptions about God and get mad because he's not acting the way he should. God, you're not supposed to do this or we can remember his power and his purpose and that he will not be defeated and we can trust joyfully. You see, that's what I want. I I want a faith that's not founded on my comfort or my understanding, one that's rooted deep into God and who he is. And the reality of of living that way only comes through the storm. You don't develop that kind of faith by never having it tested. You don't develop that kind of faith by always understanding what God's doing next. You develop that by, by flying blind, by not knowing where he's going. It takes a struggle to move forward. To wrestle with God, to remember that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what we see growing in Habakkuk as we read this short little book. His experience with God in this situation gives us some very important lessons for Lent. I want to give you three things to think about over the next six weeks from Habakkuk. First thing is this. Habakkuk reminds us that this relationship we have with God is that it's a relationship. And so our lives are to be spent living in dialogue with God. One of the things Habakkuk did right was to keep on going back and forth with God. But God, what about, but, but how about this? Okay, well, what about this? He's, he's going back and forth with him. And that's the whole point is our lives are meant to be lived in relationship with God every second of every day. Something I've been seeing just lately is, is that the silence of God is really good for us because it forces us, <coughs> excuse me. It forces us to develop dependence. There's a a situation in my life that I've been praying about. I've been praying about it for some time. And God doesn't seem to be moving on my timetable. I've shown him my Google Calendar and he is not working according to my Google Calendar at all. And, and last week, as I was reading over the last couple weeks, you know, we read that, well, we didn't read it, but just before our text last week was the widow, the, the persistence in prayer. And so I was thinking, okay, God, maybe I'm just, you know, you know, it's a desire in my heart, but maybe I'm just not being persistent enough in praying. And then the theologian in me says, well, doesn't he already know? And vain repetition, you know, don't just keep saying the same thing over and over, but I'm reading the scripture and I realize there's, there's a phrase that keeps coming up in the gospel that I'm reading. And so I think, okay, maybe he wants me to pray that phrase repeatedly and i'm kind of halfway thinking okay maybe this is god telling me to do it but maybe not because you know it's like you know when your kids are like mommy 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 daddy 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 i don't want to be this irritating person but i thought okay i'll try it and this is a hint hint we learn how to pray by practicing it not by thinking about how prayer should work and i've learned that so i started okay i've got this one phrase i'm going to pray it about this situation all day long. Anytime my, my mind's blank, I'm going to try to pray that phrase. And I did, Da-da-da-da, over and over. Vain repetition, maybe, I don't know. But I'm praying it. But you know what I realized? I realized that maybe God doesn't want me to keep praying that phrase because he needs to be reminded. But he wants me to keep praying that phrase so that I'm constantly reminded that I'm in dependence. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Please do this. And I began to realize that that, that, that repetition is not like voting Okay, you know, it's like this little thing, ding, ding, you've reached the proper number of prayers to get your answer. <laughs> you know, that's how I kind of view it. But it's like God says, I want you to pray it over and over and over because it develops in you this realization that all day long you can be talking to me about this. That at every second of every day, I want to be in dialogue with you. To be aware of his presence. That he lives within me. It's not like he's out there somewhere, but he's here and I can talk with him. Habakkuk reminds us that we live our lives in dialogue with God and that this is where we learn. And it's very challenging, but it's freeing as well. It sets us free because every moment I can turn to Him, every moment I can draw from Him. It shapes our experiences, the easy ones and the hard ones, this constant communication. And His presence, (laughs) that's the thing. You see, it doesn't say we won't be afraid. But he calls us to experience fear in the context of that relationship. And and his presence helps us in not letting fear take control. It doesn't say we'll never have fear. He doesn't look at Habakkuk and say, why are you afraid of these marauders? You know, Habakkuk may get his head chopped off by these guys. He doesn't say, you don't have to worry. Just don't be afraid. He doesn't... He doesn't... um, I'm thinking of the word in Spanish. (laughs) He doesn't get mad, let's just say that, at Habakkuk because he's afraid. But but the thing is, he doesn't want Habakkuk to let fear take control. You see, he wants Habakkuk to remember that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, regardless of what the Babylonians do. The Lord is in his holy temple, regardless of what the Babylonians do. And, and, and in the midst of our lives, as God is silent and we're realizing our dependence and we're terrified at times, the point is God says, don't let that fear take control. Remember the truth. Remember the trust. The marches on Selma in the civil rights movement back in 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. led these marches from Montgomery, Alabama to Selma. And it was a group of people that were protesting the fact that blacks could not vote. And and March Sunday was referred to as, uh, that year, 1965, was referred to as Bloody Sunday because 17 of the marchers were injured, severely injured by police. And by the time they finally got to where they were going, they were battle-scarred and weary and terrified and exhausted, and they didn't know if they'd accomplished anything. And Martin Luther King stood up and he said this, I love this speech. I know that you're asking today, how long will it take? Well, I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth pressed to the earth will rise again. How long? Not long because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long because you still reap what you sow. How long? Not long because the arm of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord Trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, he has loosed his faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. See that? That's, Martin Luther King Jr. appealed to people and motivated them because he was saying the, glory, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Even if you don't see it, it's going to happen. Fear will be there. It's there for Habakkuk. Fear is something you're going to deal with your whole life. But the question is, will you trust God and not let the fear take control? Not to eliminate it, but not to be controlled by it. And finally, a third thing for this Lent season. Habakkuk helps us to carefully connect the outside and the inside. What do I mean by that? He he does something that we often forget to do, to connect what's going on out there with what's happening in here. Very often our theology and our faith, our Christianity is about things out there. We're debating doctrinal positions or interpretations of scripture or how other people are acting or concepts. I mentioned last week in the sermon, you know, this could be a sermon about the concept of humility and it'll be worthless. It can't be out there. It's got to be in here. And Habakkuk starts talking about out there. He's like, how long, O Lord, are you going to let violence happen? How long is justice going to be perverted and twisted? How long are you going to let these things happen out there? But God works him through the process. And Habakkuk stays with him long enough to move from out there to in here. And he realizes that out there and in here are connected by the state of his own heart. And is he willing to trust? See, the, the story talks about Israel. What's going to happen to Israel? But the story is about Habakkuk's own heart. Will he trust God even when he doesn't understand? And the last chapter, one of the things you don't necessarily get as you read that last chapter, the first verse of chapter 3, the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigeonoth. Now we know then that this is like a song. We know it because of the end of verse 3, Selah. End of verse, what, 9, I think, Selah. And end of verse 13. And at the very end, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. One of the, the fascinating things here Habakkuk's world has been shaken, his assumptions about God lie in the dust around his feet. And the answer to his original prayer means that Babylon will attack and he and his loved ones could die. And God said, I'm just, they'll get what's coming to them. But you, Habakkuk, you need to live by faith and know that I will fill the earth with my glory. And then Habakkuk sings. You got to get that. He doesn't sing to tell you how good he is. He sings because he writes a song because he wants the people of God to respond to judgment and difficulty with a song of trust and power. He's not just, just telling you, this is what happened in my life. He's saying, sing with me when God's quiet to you or when he starts to answer and he doesn't answer the way you think. This is the song that you can sing that talks about the power of God. And 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 he wants you to say with him, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Do them again today, Lord. Renew them in this day. But God, in wrath, I remember mercy. <laughs> I love that. In wrath? Yeah, God, do what you want, but remember mercy, please. And when you're when in the middle of, of your fear, when your heart's pounding and your legs are trembling and, and your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, you know, can you Remember that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There's nothing that, he, nothing that will stop what God is going to do. And can you say, even though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no grapes, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, even though there's total economic collapse, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the heights. That's the song he invites you to sing in the middle of your fear, in the middle of your misunderstanding or not understanding. He wants you to remember the power and the purpose of God. Let's pray. God, we live in that fear so often, and we don't understand. We think we've got it all figured out, and then you do something, and it just shocks us, terrifies us. But God, we ask today that we could sing the song of Habakkuk, that we could, could open our mouths to trust that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, that you will not be stopped, that you cannot be stopped, that you are God, the only King, King of kings and Lord of lords. Give us that confidence in the midst of our fear or our lack of understanding. When our world is falling apart, God, help us to, to lean fully upon you and what you have promised to do. And know that you are a God who loves, a God who does remember mercy, a God who we look forward to in in six weeks celebrating the resurrection that changed everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen.